Well, this morning at Pleasant City Church, we are starting a brand new series entitled Generous. And it's all about how we define this term, generosity. Are we truly generous? And with our generosity, what can God do through His Spirit when He combines our generosity with His Spirit and His desire to reach the nations and to reach our community? That's what it's all about. And we're starting with this question of what is rich? What defines being rich and what defines poverty? These two questions are very subjective. In fact, the answers are very subjective. That your definition of rich and my definition of rich and your definition of poverty and my definition of poverty are probably varying and defer quite a bit or maybe a little. But each one of us has this subjective idea of what rich people look like and what poor or poverty looks like. And so I can't think of a better place to maybe redefine our definition of that than right here in Guatemala. Right now we are about three weeks into the past and we are on mission. Our mission team is here in Guatemala. Um, We've been here for about four days doing ministry and this morning we are in the village of El Remolino. And El Remolino, this this entire village, the, the primary economy of this village is what is right here behind me this trash dump that we're in right now. You see, most of the villagers in this town, this is their primary source of income. It's their primary source of living. These trash uh, trash trucks will come in to this trash dump area and people will immediately jump into these trash trucks and begin to sift through the garbage, sift through all the stuff that's there, and they'll start to collect plastics, they'll start to collect aluminum and metals, and they will stockpile this stuff to take it in and basically get pennies or nickels for the things and the work that they are working in. And and we've seen, uh, over the years, we've seen all kinds of of poverty right here in this place. I I remember one of the first missions we went on right here in this village. I remember the trash truck pulling up and children jumping in uh, to eat watermelon rinds out of the garbage because they were hungry. So as we think about poverty and as we think about what it means to be rich this morning, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Are we rich? You know, the average income in Guatemala is $7 a day. Not $7 an hour, $7 a day. So I want us to ask this question this morning. Ask ourselves this question. Are we rich? What does poverty look like? And what does being rich look like? Until we understand what those definitions are, it's impossible for us to really truly be generous. So as Christian said this morning, we are starting a brand new four-week series called Generous. And uh, when you think of generosity, uh, a lot of times you can't help but think about wealth, about money. I mean, there's definitely something to be said about being generous with your time and being generous with your attention. But by and large, when you think of generosity, at some point in your thought process, wealth comes into play. And and the fact of the matter is generosity or being generous is a term that most of us probably would like to be said about us. I mean, if, if we could have an accolade said about us, that would be one of the things that we would want said about us. I mean, for someone to say about you, man, that guy is generous. Man, she is one of the most generous people I've ever met. 
What a great thing for someone to say about us. But for a lot of us, when it comes to generosity, there's this, almost like this glass ceiling that's there that we feel like we just can't break through. I mean, sure, we, we give some money here, or we do some good there, but, and it it's kind of feels token, doesn't it? It's almost like we just can't break through to this idea of just being outrageously generous. And the reason for that is a lot of us, when we think of generosity, we think in terms of thousands, millions, or billions. You see, a lot of times there's this us and them idea, this us and them thought process of, well, those people over there, they get to be really generous because they have or they have disposable income. They have a lot of extra. They are millionaires or they are this and they are that. And those people, man, I get to watch them and they are very generous. Those people, them. But then there's us, right? There's us that lives paycheck to paycheck. There's us that is trying to retire debt. There's us that are students and don't really have any source of income, right? There's always this us group of people. And a lot of us that are us, when we think about generosity and outrageous generosity, we're thinking about them. We're not thinking about us. And this is, this is kind of the test to know whether you're in the us category or the them category. Here's the test. If you've ever played the what I would do if I won the lottery game, you're in the us category, all right? Now, I've never played the lottery, but I've definitely played the game what I would do if I won the lottery. I don't know how a person wins the lottery if they don't play the lottery, but I've played the game, right? And some of you have played the game. In fact, some of you have told me You've played the game and you've told me what you would do with that, right? But I, I, I do this often, not as often. Uh, anyway, I, I'm telling on myself right now. Um, I've done this before. And uh, where you're driving down the road and what are you doing? You're thinking to yourself, oh man, if I had X amount of money, I would do so much good stuff, right? I mean, I would handle this. I would take care of that. God, you would be so pleased. If I just had this much money, I would be an outrageous, generous person. I would be one of them, right? And this is, this is kind of the thought process there. The thought process behind that is really what we're saying to God is, Lord, if you would just give me more money, I would be more generous. And here's where I want us to go today. And we're going to be talking about this for the next four weeks. So we can't hit everything this morning. But where I want us to go today is a, a conversation about generosity. And I'm going to tell you, when you start talking about money and generosity, it feels very, very personal. It's personal to me. And, and I just want to say, you know, when we're talking about this morning, I just, I want to say this in humility because, you know, I'm not there. And I, maybe you're there, that's great. I'm not there. And, and here's the thing. I don't know what you give. I don't know what you do. I don't know what kind of income you have, which is kind of awesome. Because when we don't know that about, about each other, we can allow the word of God to speak to us and not some mere person, Right? And so this morning, I want to start with some very personal questions 
And don't write this down because your neighbor might see your sheet over your, over your, uh, your head there. But I want us to ask these personal questions, and they're there in your introduction. The first question is this. How much money do you need to be rich? How much money do you need to be rich? I want you to really try to think about a number there. What is that number? How much money do you need to be rich? The second question is this. How much money do you need to be generous? Not just nominal generosity. I'm talking about how much money do you need to be outrageously generous? You see, I believe, and I know this is kind of weird to do it this way, I'm going to spoil the message from you at the very beginning. Most people don't like spoilers. I don't like spoilers, but I'm going to spoil the message for you right here at the beginning. I believe that a, a life marked by generosity is not just for those people. It's not just for them. But a life marked by generosity is for us as well. Those of us that are right there in the trenches of our finances. There is an us in generous. So how do we take these steps towards generosity? If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. You can get your Bible app out if you want to do it that way. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, you have an outline there. You're more than welcome to follow along if you want to. You can go to the church app and follow along there. Uh, But 1 Timothy chapter 6, what you have is a letter that Paul has written to Timothy. Timothy at this time is in charge of the church there at Ephesus. He's been given that charge. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And really he's writing the letter to the church, believers, and ultimately to us. And he's given them very practical information. Like if you read the book or the letter of 1 Timothy, you'll find out he's giving you information about qualification of leaders. He's telling you how to deal with widows. He's telling you some things on prayer. And at the very end of this letter, right before the salutation, Paul addresses another group of people, a very specific group. And it's here in verse 17 that I want to pick up. Look at what Paul says. Timothy, command those who are rich. Command those who are rich. Now, let's stop there for just a second and ask the question, who is Paul talking about here? He's talking about rich people. And some of you, through your smiling at me or through your blank stare, inside you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, ah, I can just relax today. Because some of you are sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I can just take it easy because he's not talking to me today. I am not rich. I get to watch the Holy Spirit work in all these other people's lives today, watch the conviction of God just fall on them, and I get to just sit back and watch. Because guess what, Jonathan? I am not rich. Well, then here's the question. Who is rich? Who is rich? Rich people can be defined in in this very simple way. Rich people have extra. So what's an idea of someone who's rich? All right, here's here's some ideas. If you want to know who rich people look like, this is what rich people look like. Rich people can work only five days a week and amass enough wealth to cover the extra two days where they don't have to work. That's rich people. It's pretty cool. Rich people in their house, you walk into their house and own just about every room in their house has this little switch on the wall. This is crazy. Stay with me. They flip the switch and guess what happens? 
light comes on in their room. They don't need a candle. They don't need a flashlight. It's amazing. Rich people in their house, they have these little apparatuses in some of their rooms, okay? And you go up to this apparatus and you start fidgeting with these knobs and pure, clean water just comes right out. They don't have to go to a river or anything. This is what rich people have. They have this little keypad in their house, somewhere in their house. Some people have like two or three, okay? And they have this little keypad, and they literally can manipulate the climate of their entire house to the degree. I mean, only rich people, right? They have this screen in their house that literally can access thousands upon thousands of entertainment choices for them. Like right there at their fingertips. It's crazy, right? Get this, rich people, this is nuts, all right? Rich people have the unique ability to go to a, drive their car that works to a car lot. Get this, this is crazy. They can leave their car there with just a little, you know, they'll give the car and some more of their money to this car lot. And they will drive away with another car that's just a few years newer and does pretty much the same thing the old car does. That's the kind of wealth that rich people have. And this one blows me away. That same car, okay, this is nuts. They will drive their car to their house. And as they approach their house, there's this magic button on the visor, all right? It's crazy. They will push this button, crazy, and this massive door will open up, all right? And the car will go into what's essentially a house for their car. (laughs) That's nuts, right? Rich people have extra, and here's the truth about rich people. If you're in this room there's a good chance you are a rich person. You are a wealthy person. And generosity begins with us knowing that. That generosity, the first step of generosity is this idea that we have to embrace that we are, in fact, rich people. We have to embrace that we are rich. Think about this for just a second. If your household makes $48,000 a year, If your household makes that, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. The top 1%. Now get this. You guys just responded the way I thought you would. No one in the room, when I told you you were rich, no one in the room stood up, yelled, made a scene, and said, Wow, I never knew I'm rich. And you know why you didn't do that? Because being rich and feeling rich are two different things. It's one thing to be rich. It's another thing to feel rich. And most people don't feel rich. Like we can watch a video on the screen and for just about 30 seconds we can feel rich, right? Like when we watch these Guatemalans literally sift through the garbage to make an income of $7 a day, we look at that and think, wow, we are rich. But have you ever noticed, and maybe, maybe some of you have been on mission trips. I know this happens to me. I come back from that mission, and that feeling and that thought just passes really fast. The idea of feeling rich doesn't stay around very long. And this is a trap that a lot of people find themselves in. Because what they say to God is, Lord, I will be one of those people 
if you would just give me more, if I can get more money, then I will be rich. And what they're really saying is, Lord, if I can feel rich, then I'll be generous. And the trap and the circle of that is the fact that nothing makes us feel rich like being generous. But we never get to that because we're waiting for the feeling to come before we're generous. And it doesn't work that way. The generosity comes before the feeling. And we stay in this circle. So we rob ourselves of this joy that God wants us to experience through giving and through generosity. And it's kind of cool. We, we actually see studies that back up generosity and the benefits to generosity. Me and Christian were talking this week. We love it when science proves the Bible. Like I, that's one of my favorite things. It's one of his favorite things is when you see something in secular world and science that will actually validate what the Bible says. And they did a study on a thousand ethnically diverse, different income uh, group of people to sit down and say, all right, these thousand people were generous. They compared them to the general population of the world. And what they found to be true is that most of the people that are generous, generally speaking, their blood pressure is better, their sleep patterns are better, that they were documented in a medical journal to have better health than those that aren't generous. And so we know that not only is this a biblical principle, that God has designed us to be generous. And until we understand the wealth we've been given, both physical wealth and spiritual wealth, we can never tap into generosity. And this is what God has said. He has said, hey, you are rich beyond recognition. You are rich, not just physically. You have been given something so great spiritually. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But that's the first point, this idea that step towards generosity. We have to embrace that we are rich. Secondly, we have to eliminate our liabilities. We have to eliminate our liabilities. What's a liability? A liability is a risk. We have to eliminate the risks of our wealth. All wealth comes with liabilities. Like, some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You're thinking to yourself, you know, one of the liabilities is, well, what if the stock market crashes, right? What if my house gets foreclosed on? What if I lose my job? These are liabilities to wealth. But Paul tells us about heart liabilities to wealth. And the first one is this idea of pride, the pride of prosperity, the pride of prosperity. And it's there in verse 17. Look at what Paul says again. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Another word for that is conceited or prideful. Why? Why is he commanding them not to be prideful, these rich people? Because there's this natural tendency that rich people move towards, and it's this idea of pride that we've been given so much that we begin, the natural uh, idea is that we begin to think of ourselves better than what we truly are. And we've heard this statement before, and I've said this statement before, so I'm not like coming down on you if you've said it, but think about this statement for just a minute. This is really an identifier of the pride of prosperity. I am a self-made man. I am a self-made woman. Man, what, what are we saying when we actually say that? What we're saying is that when we look at all of our wealth that we've accrued and our status in this world, we look at that and we say to ourselves, I did that. 
I did that. It was my promotion at work that I earned. It was my smart decision to buy this stock or that property. It was my discipline of saving and retiring my debt. And and this is such a subtle thing that we have to watch because for some of us, we came from homes that didn't have anything. And so it's kind of a big deal that we've been able to step out of that kind of poverty into a better situation. But the subtle part about that is that we begin to start thinking that that ability rests in us, that we're the ones that have done this, that we're the ones that have made something of ourselves. And this is something that rich people easily fall into, this pride of prosperity, If you go back and you look in the Old Testament, there was a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. It's in Daniel chapter 4, if you want to read it sometime this week. Interesting story. This is what happened to him. He looked at all that he had, all of his wealth, all of that, and he said, I did this. And God had to humble him through that. Generosity, true generosity, it doesn't flow from an independent, self-made mind. Generosity flows from a dependent God-made heart. It doesn't flow from an independent, self-made mind. Generosity flows from a dependent, God-made heart. And if we view our wealth as a self-made thing, we will never understand generosity. And think about that. If all we believe is that I have made all of this happen, I've made this happen, then how can we ever understand generosity? But when we understand that all of this wealth and all of this status and all of these things that have been given to me were truly given to me by a generous God, then we become the recipients of that generosity and we in turn are able to know how to be generous to others as well. This is how God has set it up. And we miss that if we're focused on what we have accomplished. But it's more than just uh, the pride of prosperity. It's also the peril of misplaced faith. That this is another liability that rich people struggle with. The peril of misplaced faith uh, says this in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be prideful, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Why is he saying this? Why is Paul saying, hey, don't trust in riches, trust in the living God? The reason is there's this formula at work in a rich person's life. And it goes a little bit like this. The more money I accrue, the greater the potential for fear becomes. The more I have, the more potential I have to fear the future. And ultimately, what you're fearing is the fear of loss. And it's a counterintuitive thing because we think, oh, if we could just get more wealth, I'll feel more secure, right? I'll I'll get more secure, but it actually works the opposite way. That the more wealth we acquire, the more we actually fear losing it. And so Jesus says this, he's saying, hey, hey, don't trust in that. Our hope migrates a lot of times from Christ, our hope in Christ, to hoarding wealth. And again, I'm not talking about responsible saving here. There is a a place to save responsibly. The Bible teaches that as well. But what I'm saying is this, this mind and this heart dysfunction of thinking, I need a little more to secure my future. I need a little more to secure my future. And for some of us, that, that question that we asked early the, at the introduction, how much do you need to be rich? You had a hard time answering it because you're always thinking, oh, well, what about this scenario? Or what about that scenario? 
It's this idea of trusting in uncertain riches. And here's the truth about that. The chief competitor for your heart with God, the chief competitor is not Satan. The chief competitor for your heart with God is not some other person here on earth. It's not some kind of demonic power. You know what the Bible says the chief competitor of your heart is for your heart? It's wealth. It's money. It's stuff. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Now, you're reading this, and you're probably, if you read this out of context, you're thinking, okay, he's talking about like Satan here, right? He's talking about demonic forces. He's talking about something like that, right? No, look at what he says. You cannot serve God and, and the old King James word is mammon. That's kind of a weird word, but you know what it means? It means you cannot serve God and stuff. You can't serve God and your wealth. And so the question becomes, is your provision, is your, excuse me, is your hope in your provision or is your hope in your provider? Is your hope and your future secured in what's been given to you or is it secured in the one who gave it to you? If your hope is in your provision, every dollar that leaves your hand, you will see as a threat to your future. And God's saying, hey, open it up, man. Open this up. Don't allow this misplaced faith to be anchored in your wealth. Let it be anchored in him. Next, the the next thing that we see, the liability here, is the principle of the upgrade. I'm going to explain this, but the principle of the upgrade. And here's what the principle states. The more I have, the more I want. The more I have, the more I want. And for each one of us, we have something in our lives that kind of plays with us in this area, right? For me, it's this little thing right here, right? This thing's pretty awesome, right? It's like, man, this thing is amazing. I got all these great features. I'm kind of a tech nerd. And so this kind of thing is kind of my jam, and literally, who says my jam? I don't know, Um, but literally, I will love this thing until, until the next one comes out, right? Because then when the next one comes out, all of a sudden, my satisfaction in this goes out the window, right? It's like the battery's dying. This thing is so slow. And literally, this, this is kind of the principle of the upgrade, that the more I have, the more I want. And some of you are looking at me like, that's stupid, Jonathan, it's just a phone. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Don't be thinking right now about what everyone else's upgradable issue is, because that's easy to do, right? Your neighbor gets a brand new this, and you're thinking, man, they have got that principle of the upgrade going on, but what is it in your life? What is it in your life that creates that discontent? The more model, what more can I have? I love this in verse 17, Paul says this, command those who are rich in this present age not to be prideful nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God. What kind of God are we serving? Who gives us richly all things to enjoy? I love this verse because you know what this is saying? 
It's saying that God is going to give us great things to enjoy. Now, this isn't a prosperity gospel. This is just what's already true. If you're rich, you already have things that you enjoy. And it's not just talking about material wealth here. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about friends and family. God is a God who has richly blessed us. And here's what's easy to do. It's easy for us to treat God the way that some of our kids treat us on Christmas morning. I've got some great kids, okay? I love my kids, but, but here's the truth, and this is what I've kind of learned with just about all kids on Christmas morning. You got the presents sitting there, you know, five or six of them from different people or whatever, or however many, it doesn't matter. What happens? All right, Will, go ahead and open your present. He tears into that thing, and his satisfaction in that thing lasts about 10 seconds. Why? Because there's still four more presents to open. So he's already left that. You know, we're on FaceTime with Crystal's family in California saying, hey, say thank you. And he's like, thanks. And he's moving into the next one, right? (laughs) Why? Because he's not content with what he has in that moment. He's in this principle of the upgrade. The more I have, the more I want. And here's the thing, guys. If we can never learn to enjoy what God gives us and we're always looking for the upgrade, it's impossible for us to be able to see outside of ourselves and see the needs that God wants us to address because we are so focused on what's next. And man, companies thrive off this. This is the reason Amazon exists. This is the reason eBay exists or any other retailer exists because they are playing off your principle of the upgrade. They are playing off your interest and what you want and how much more you can consume. And this, to be honest, and this is a little personal, this is where debt thrives in our culture. Because what happens is we get into this principle where we got to upgrade everything that comes our way. And then there's something that God impresses upon our heart to give to, something we want to be generous with our money in. Maybe you saw that video and Guatemala speaking to you right now. But what happens is we get so bound up in debt, and this is what debt does. Debt keeps you from putting your money where your heart is. It, it stifles generosity. And so this is a liability that we have to watch. We will never be generous if we allow these heart liabilities in our world. So the next step of generosity, and you see it here in the passage, but the next step is embezzle your impermanent wealth. Embezzle from your impermanent wealth. Some of you are like, man, you went with the bank words for this one. I did, I appreciate that. Um, But here's the thing I want you to think about. Some of you are like kind of hung up right now because you just, you're thinking you're telling us to embezzle. And I'm saying to you, yes, I do want you to embezzle. I know that's fraudulent, but here's who I want you to embezzle from. I want you to embezzle from you. You embezzle from you. Look at the definition of embezzlement. It's here on the screen. A fraudulent conspiracy in which a person withholds an individual's funds for the purpose of reappropriating those funds to another account. This is where God has me, guys, right now. I believe what God is telling me to do is to conspire with him against my sinful flesh to skim off the top of my resources and reappropriate that somewhere else. Because here's the thing. Our flesh, when we become a believer, we have the spirit of God living in us, but guess what? We still have that selfish flesh 
And left to ourselves, that selfish flesh cries out this assumption. It assumes that everything God puts in my hands is for me. It's like, oh, I get this. Oh, God put it in my hands. It's mine now. And that at its core is selfishness. It is the old man, the old sinful flesh. And so what I believe God's saying is, hey, let's conspire together against your flesh to take from him, to take from that selfish mindset. Why? Because that wealth is impermanent anyway. It's temporary. That if everything works out with your financial portfolio and your money doubles every eight years and you have all this stuff at the end of your life, even if every bit of that works out the way you want it to, there is coming a day in the future where you will breathe your last. And guess what? At that point, that wealth is temporary for you. It's no longer there. So God's saying, hey, rather than hoard all that for this false sense of security, let's skim off the top. Let's conspire together and steal, basically steal from your independent wealth, your impermanent wealth. This is what generosity looks like. Verse 18 says this, let them, these rich people, do good that they may be rich in good works. Notice, they're no longer rich in their own wealth. He's saying, let's be rich in good works. Let's reallocate that wealth, ready to give, willing to share. And this is kind of cool because we have this real life example in scripture of someone who does this. And it's in Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I want you to hold your First Timothy passage and go to Mark chapter 12. A few months ago, I was working through the book of Mark and this passage is actually the inspiration for this whole series. That God really used this passage to speak to me. And I've read this passage a hundred times and man, God just was speaking to me through it. And it, it says this in verse 41, 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. Jesus is there at the temple and he's actually watching people give money in the offering plate. And this is kind of cool because Jesus is able to do something that we are not and that we shouldn't do. You know how Jesus says imitate him? This is one of the things you can't imitate in Jesus, okay? And it's this idea that Jesus is watching this happen. He's watching people put money in the offering plate and he knows their hearts. He knows their bank accounts. He knows everything about them. And so he's watching this happen and many who were rich put in much. So there were people, man, they were just piling the offering plate down. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. Now, I used to think a mite was a bug, so I never understood this passage when I was young. But I understand it now. Mites, two mites would be equivalent in our culture and in our, in our day, two mites would be equivalent to about six minutes worth of work at minimum wage. So we're talking microscopic money here, Okay. Verse 43, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Now, what kind of math is Jesus doing here? Like, this is crazy. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. What Jesus is doing here, he is telling us some things about generosity. And I got three things I want you to get from this passage. The first thing is this, that there is a priority in her giving. 
There's a priority there. Priority basically means this. It's giving God what's already his. It's not something necessarily that starts with your hands. It's something that starts with your heart. The recognition of the fact that everything we own belongs to God. And this is something that we put out through even our culture value. We have a culture value at our church, number nine, that generosity is common. And rather than reword this, I love the way that this culture value says it. It says, we are the recipients of the greatest gift the world has ever known, the gift of Jesus Christ that brings about life, grace, mercy, and freedom. At no cost to us, yet at the highest cost to him. Because we have been freely given all of this, our only right response is to freely give. Therefore, giving out of obligation is the wrong response and unbiblical. Giving is a part of our worship. Our response is not to calculate how little we can return to him, but to realize that we are mere managers of all that he has entrusted to us. Generosity is not about wealth, our wealth, as much as it is about our hearts and our confidence in God. What this idea priority is saying, it's saying, hey, wealth and the way we deal with wealth is an act of worship. That we are going to choose how we handle our wealth and how we handle our wealth truly reveals what our heart is saying about God. And for some of us, man, this is a, a struggle because for a lot of us, it is. It's, it's this idea of, hey, it's not a priority. What we give to God doesn't become a priority. Some of us, the way we kind of handle our finances and the way we think about generosity is we, we kind of react, right? It's like, hey, you know, I've got, I got a mortgage payment to make. You know, I've got, I've got, you know, the utility bills to pay. My kid, you know, Jackson, he's got braces. That, that costs money. You know, I got that monthly payment coming every month. You know, we, we're starting soccer. We need, got to buy uniforms. So it's that going on. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, you know, we're, we thought maybe we, you know, as a little treat to our family, we'd go see a movie and go to lunch. And so by the time all that's over, we look and we say, well, I'm out. And then we're like, okay, I know I need to do something. I got to be generous to God. So it's like, oh, I forgot. I got this. Here you go, God. And what we're doing is we are giving God our leftovers. We are giving him the last portion a lot of times. And man, I've caught myself doing that. It's like, man, how disrespectful is that? Imagine if the Queen of England came to Shelby. I've used an illustration similar to this. I like the Queen. I don't know why. But the Queen of England comes to Shelby and she's coming to hang out at my house. That'd be, that'd be pretty awesome if she did. So she's showing up at my house and the week before, you can imagine what Crystal's gonna be doing, my wife. She's gonna be cleaning that house. That place is gonna be spotless and we are gonna break out for once the fine china. Like we've had fine china given to us on our wedding. We've never used it. That's not a, I'm not kidding. It sits in our cabinet. We're getting it out for the queen. So the queen comes and we've got all of that there and her little assistant, we'll call him Cedric. Cedric says, <laughs> Cedric says, what's for dinner? And I, I smile real big and I walk to the refrigerator and I say, this, this is for dinner. You know what this is? This is my wife's Mexican chicken. It's amazing. It's so good. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. She made it about eight days ago. 
and it's smelling a little ripe. I think we can make it work. It's probably, we're on the cusp of throwing it out. But you know what? I think this is going to work. And let's say I walk up to the queen and I just plop it right down on that china. That's like Fancy Feast. You remember that commercial? I always trip me out. Imagine how ridiculous that would be, right? I mean, that's just the most ridiculous illustration you can come up with. But here's the truth. For a lot of us, man, that's how we give to God. That our generosity is, if I have anything left over, that's who will get it. God is saying, man, generosity begins with a priority. It begins with him being first. We're not skimming off the bottom. We're skimming off the top. Secondly, percentage. I see this in this passage, percentage, that rich people typically give larger sums but smaller percentages. And this is not a new idea. This is, this is an age-old idea. This is happening right here in this passage, right? That the people, the rich people are coming and they're giving all kinds of wealth, but Jesus isn't really impressed with that. He's not impressed with the dollars. He's impressed with the percentage. What percentage of your livelihood and your resources have you given? God has never been impressed with the amount of money. He's impressed with the percentage. In God's economy, percentage is greater than money. It's not the number of zeros at the end of the check that move God. It's the percentage. And we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. So let's table that for a minute. But don't forget that. It's important. Next, the word progressive. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke a parable about how we handle what God entrusts us with. And we've probably heard this little proverb before. It's a good statement. But it's in Luke 12, verse 48. It says, to whom, Jesus is talking about believers here, to whom much is given, much will be required. And the idea of progression is this idea that the more God gives, the more he expects. The more God gives, the more he expects. And and I just want to say this. This is kind of a personal thing. I'm not saying this is the way God's speaking to you, but I'll tell you how God's been speaking to me lately. I've grown up in this church since I was eight years old, and I remember literally at eight learning how to give to the church. And I remember for every dollar I got, man, a dime would come to the church, and it'd go in the plate, right, the 10%. And that's, that's a good thing, okay? We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, so I'm not knocking that. But here's the thing that God's kind of been saying to me lately. What other things, Jonathan, do you do the way you did when you were eight? Like other than sleep and use the bathroom, just about everything in my life has changed. And here's what he was saying to me. I really believe this. I believe he was saying at at, at this stage in my life, the last seven years really, that God is, for me, wanting to progress what God's given me. He's given me more. And he's wanting me to progress in my giving as well. And sometimes I look at that and I think every year I'm thinking, man, I can't keep doing this. Like at some point this is going to run out. But God has continued to provide. It's this idea, are we simply calculating the minimum we can give God or are we progressive in our giving? So look here at the review. Embrace that you are rich. Eliminate your liabilities. Embezzle your impermanent wealth. And fourthly, endorse God's investment opportunity. Verse 18 says, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And as that's happening, as you're doing that, look at what's happening. Storing up for themselves, storing up for yourself 
a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. What Paul is saying here is that spiritually speaking, generosity is not a telethon or a GoFundMe. Generosity for the believer is an investment opportunity. It's an investment that we're making. It's a reallocation of wealth from one account to another. And Paul makes reference to this in verse 17. He says this. He says, command those who are rich in this present age. In this present age. As opposed to what? As opposed to a future age. That there is a present age and there is a future age. And what God is saying, and this might strike some of you guys as weird, is that when we are generous... When we are giving a priority and a percentage and it's progressive, when we are doing that, it's an investment in the kingdom of God, absolutely, and that's pretty awesome. But it's not just an investment in the kingdom of God, it's an investment in your own future eternity. He says that there, right there in verse 19. And so here's the question to ask, or the thing to say. We don't get credit for what we leave We don't get credit for what we leave because everything, because everybody leaves the same thing. Everybody leaves everything. And for some of us, man, that's kind of where we're at, right? It's like, hey, you know, I'm going to leave a lot to the church. I'm going to leave a lot to the things of God when I die. Well, great. You're doing what everyone else is doing. You're leaving everything. We don't get credit for what we leave We get credit for what we give right here, right now, in this present age. That's what it means to invest in eternity, to invest in the things of God. So I have an application here, and I want you to really uh, think about these questions this week. We're going to talk about this for the next few weeks. But I want to ask these questions. I, I want you, they are personal, I know. But I want you to think about these questions. What do I currently give right now? What is it that I'm currently giving? And you, this is more than just wealth. You can talk, think about your time, think about your attention. What are you currently giving? Is it a priority? Is it a priority in your life or is it, is it leftovers? Is it a percentage? What is the percentage? What, what is that percentage compared to everything else you have and everything else you get? And is it progressive? Where is my investment secured? Is it secured in a bank or is it secured in eternity? If you would, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. The invitation this morning is not a come forward with music kind of invitation. The invitation this morning is something that's going to continue. That, that yeah, there's prayer involved, and yeah, there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity to pray and to think about these things and to, to ask God the question, what, what am I giving? Is it enough? Is it, is it what you want from me? But the, the invitation is really your day-to-day life. What are you doing with what God is giving you? Are you investing it in eternal Things or is your investment secured in a bank, in your impermanent wealth? As we think about these next few weeks, I'm praying that God will begin to work in our hearts, not just your heart, in my heart, that God will continue to work in my heart and say, Jonathan, let's let go of this. You don't need this. Let's let go of that. 
What is it that God wants you to give and what does he want you to be generous in? So as the ushers come forward for our offering, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity this morning, Lord, to think about generosity, to think about what it means to be a generous giver. And God, I just pray, Lord, that, that th- this wouldn't be a thing where it feels like pointing the finger because God... You know my heart in this. You know what you've been working in my heart with. These are the things that I've been struggling with. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to refine what generosity looks like for me, Lord, that I would recognize the wealth that you have given me, Lord. Not, not, not just physical wealth, God, just the wealth of salvation, the wealth of hope for eternity with you, Jesus. You gave everything to us. You gave everything to us with your death and with your resurrection. And God, we have salvation. We have something far greater than any dollar amount, Lord. God, because of that generosity, Lord, you are calling us to be generous as well. So God, I pray, Lord, that in these next few weeks, Lord, you would speak to us and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, Jonathan, for that challenge. I would like to mention...